Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Tamara Beckford Show. I am excited. Alrighty, today is really all about like living your life and living your life authentically and with purpose. All right. So I have a guest today who has an amazing story. And I'm thinking like, if you're sitting there saying, oh, I'm not really sure what my purpose in life is, mm, this show is for you, right? If you have ever tried to figure out like, how do I find my purpose? How do I, any of the obstacles that arise in my life, how do I pull from it? and find my purpose, boom, this is for you because I have one of the amazing sister docs out there who's really going to tell us all about how she did it for herself and overcame like two huge obstacles that would have knocked so many people down. And as most of our docs, she did that and she's out here helping others. All right. Now I know you're like, oh my God, there you go, Dr. Beckford, right in the middle of the day and I can't get access to everything right now. How can I get the rest of the show? Have no fear. Just go to yourcaringdocs.com, select listen here at the podcast. You'll see my doctor's beautiful face. Select listen here and you'll be able to capture the rest of this episode. And download it and send it to your friends because I guarantee, guarantee it's going to be fire. You see she's already in red. You know how it is. She came to bring the heat. <laughs> And if you are a doctor that's amazing, just like my guest, you can send me an email at drbeckford at yourcaringdocs.com if you'd like to be on the show. Keep in mind, we are booked out a few months in advance, but we'd love to have you and share your amazing story. All righty. So let's get this party started. My wonderful sister doc and guest for today, she is a graduate of Pontifica Universidad Católica Madre y Maestro Dominican Republic. Republic, because I, I'm like I want to. I want to make sure that we get that right. <laughs> she did her internal medicine um, residency at Wayne State in Detroit. So all of my people from both of those, all my Dominicanos, all my people Dominicanas, and all my people from Wayne State. Hello, hello. This is your sister doc here. She also did her fellowship in Hemong, which is hematology oncology, um, at and she did a master's in clinical. Um, investigation at Northwestern University and Northwestern Memorial Hospital in Chicago, right? So well-versed. Now, a hematologist oncologist, for those who are not familiar with that, is a doctor who specializes and takes care of those with blood disorders and cancer, right? So she did that for 15 years. And after becoming a cancer survivor herself, you heard that right, she decided she no longer wanted to make a living fighting death, but celebrating life. As a result, she's now helping high-achieving women, especially professional women and physicians, reinvent their careers and their love lives. She is a coach. She is a life coach. She's a cancer survivor, twice cancer survivor. She is here to show us how she is leading a life of authenticity. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the one and only Dealey Pichardo Johansson. I am excited and very honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I am honored to have you. Oh my gosh. Alrighty. You have such an amazing 
story and journey as to how you've gotten to the point now where you're helping these professional high achieving women, you know, to reinvent their careers. But before we got to all that, we had a little daily. All right, daily. All right, come on, little daily. Tell us when did little daily say, you know what? I want to be a doctor. Tell us how that started. Well, that there's a short version and a long version for that story. <laughs> I've always been a nerd. I, mm -hmm. I escaped my house at age three and snook into a, a school next door. And I <laughs> refused to go home. I've always loved studying. I've been a passionate student, mm -hmm. loves learning. I wanted to be a teacher. Ah. And my father, who was a teacher and loved teaching, mm -hmm. kind of talked me out of it because mm. he ended up having to change his career because how underpaid teachers were. Mm. He had three daughters he wanted to put through college. So he kind of discouraged me and challenged me to find something that was a bigger challenge for my nerdiness and intellect. And mm -hmm. my favorite subject was science. I was passionate about anatomy, biology, and the normal healthy human body. Mm -hmm. So that's why I ended up uh, choosing medicine because of that and the challenge of that is the most difficult thing I could challenge my Funny brain with. Oh, look at mm -hmm. you. But you still ended up becoming a teacher because we know doctor means teacher. Yeah, <laughs> that is still so in a different way. You still daddy stirred your way from the traditional teacher, but he stirred you into one of the original teachers, doctor. Love it. Love it. Alrighty. So you're there and you know, you have this love for learning this passion. You're sneaking out and reading books. They're pulling daily away from the school. And she's like, no, I want to stay. That's, that's, that's how it was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that now you've gotten into med school, you know, that takes a lot of um, discipline, a lot of learning and, you know, a lot of long nights. But you're there, and of all the specialties, you decided to do hematology oncology. So, what made you, after finishing your internal medicine, decide that this is the path you wanted to go on? Well, that seed was planted a lot earlier. I was 19, mm -hmm. already set off in starting. I mean, I was very early in college at age 16, I was already on my way to medical school. Mm -hmm. when my mother was diagnosed with incurable cancer. Mm. That was a big shock. Until then, I had a very protected, very blissful life, very mm -hmm. loving, overprotecting parents, a very peaceful family life. And that shook my identity. Mm -hmm. That was one of, one of the biggest challenges I had in my early life. So I fought it for a while. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that, but I end, my mother survived longer than her prognosis for several years. Mm. And after she died, I found myself gravitating to our oncology patients, mm. perhaps not in the healthiest way. They were part of my unprocessed grief for my mm -hmm. mother, but mm -hmm. I used to fall in love with them when everybody else was like, oh, I hate the rotation in oncology. I was like, that, those are my favorite patients. Why are they always the nice people, the kind-hearted people? Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up going that way. Oh, wow. So, you know, you gravitated, like you said, in life 
at 19, your life shook. Your mom got diagnosed um, with this uncurable cancer. And uh, you processed all of that later through helping the patients who, when you're on this rotation where everyone else ran to the left, you ran to the right, right towards them, right towards these patients. And you, you know, found this connection with them, with helping them through this process. So now for 15 years, you yourself practiced medicine as a hematologist oncologist. So tell us about those times. Well, I know that one of your future questions is about burnout. So mm -hmm. it's going to combine two of them. I graduated from Northwestern. Mm -hmm. I was on my track to an academic life. I, was, I took a master's in clinical investigation. I was working in a science lab on multiple myeloma, the same cancer my mother died from. Mm. And I had this idea that I wanted to, to go into research and help cure cancer. Absolutely. When I started getting these this signs that my biggest gift I had for the patients was the fact that I had been there. Mm. I had been the loved one of someone with cancer. Mm -hmm. I knew what the fear they were going through and that I cared. Mm -hmm. So I decided I cannot feel in integrity if I'm working with test tubes in science research, in basic research. Mm. And I decided to go into a clinical path. Mm -hmm. So I started clinical practice. I did all the right things. And I usually in my speaking engagements, I introduce myself like, my name is Dearly and I'm a recovering overachiever. It has <laughs> been three days since the last time I self-flagellated. So yeah. overachieving thoughts. Mm -hmm. I had to do the whole path of becoming a partner, owning shares in the company, and mm -hmm. all that that we do to get to the, the top. As I was going, I started, I didn't notice at the time until later, mm -hmm. we physicians are trained to numb ourselves. Yes. It's, the training is so brutal. Mm -hmm. We have to be sleep deprived. We have to hold our bladders for <laughs> we are trained that is so true <laughs> i still do unfortunately yes we forget to eat we forget to drink we... so we are trained to numb ourselves out and go forth no matter what mm -hmm. and ignore pain mm -hmm. so that's what i was doing now in mm -hmm. retrospect i realized that what i thought was my superpower the fact that I loved those patients and I was falling in love with every one of them was mm -hmm. actually my handicap. Mm. My colleague oncologists had learned to create these strong boundaries. Some of them a little too strong, more like stay away from <laughs> me, to protect themselves from the pain mm. of the patients. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that filter. Mm. Every time I fell in love with a patient and I held their hands, and saw them die, that was leaving a scar in my soul. Mm. But I wasn't acknowledging that. I would just keep moving, no time to grieve, go to the help the next one. Mm -hmm. And then the ones I could save, mm -hmm. and I could help, I couldn't take credit for that because that would mean I had to take credit for all the ones who died. Mm. So, so that your mind 
had at that point, it had a, a filter of plus or minuses, right? So it was very concrete in that if they passed, then if I took credit for someone who survived, I have to take credit for someone who passed. And that, that and then as a overachiever, that credit for someone who passed is called failure. Mm -hmm. So you would add that to the yeah. money, to the psyche. Wow. Yeah. Yes. So one of the things I try to teach my physician clients is to celebrate every victory and to dwell into the things that went right and also to process the things that didn't go that right. Mm -hmm. A little journaling practice, a little debriefing practice at the end of the day when you put the, what, the, what happened during the day in perspective would have helped me a lot back then. Mm -hmm. Back then, like, well, the physicians were terrible at taking care of ourselves. We don't go to doctor's appointments. We don't go to, mm -hmm. I, until I left medicine, I hadn't joined a gym. Mm -hmm. I'm now the first time in my life I'm practicing fitness and wellness. So yeah. you know how it is. Yes. So at that moment in my life, I wasn't noticing how mm. draining that was mm. until I started some conflict in my medical group itself made me reconsider, should I quit and find another oncology job? But then I have a restriction covenant, a restrictive covenant. What should I do in between? I was in that decision when, boom, I'm diagnosed with cancer. Oh, wow. Then for an oncologist, I mm -hmm. had the, my initially it was, oh, it was the easy good cancer, early stage breast cancer, highly curable. I knew it like the back of my hand. Mm -hmm. I took over my treatment, my poor doctors, they had, they didn't stand a chance. I knew exactly how I was going to be treated. I consulted with my, my mentors at Northwestern, some of the best, biggest breast oncologists in town. And I, I was in charge of my diagnosis. I knew I was going to be fine until I am reading my pathology report after my bilateral mastectomies. Mm -hmm using my password for the hospital before my doctor has even seen the pathology report. And I find a sentence that says distant metastasis. Mm. I was completely taken aback. I was not expecting that. Mm -hmm. And I said, for the first time in my life, it really hit me how short life was. Mm. I, a few years back, and that is where the part of finding, helping women finding love comes from. Yes. I had done something for the first time in my life that was being a failure. Mm -hmm. I had accepted that my marriage at the time was unhealthy and toxic. Mm -hmm. And I had accepted the first F of my life mm -hmm. by leaving that marriage. Mm -hmm. And later on, almost as a miracle because I was a divorced mother of four, two kids with special needs. I ended up, I met the love of my life. I, I had remarried. I had had the best few years of my life. Mm -hmm. And at that time I realized none of the achievements I ever mm -hmm. chased, no, the stoma cum laude, no, the specialty, the subspecialty, the additional master, nothing had meant anything. Mm -hmm. All I could think of was, thank God, 
I did what didn't make any sense at the time mm -hmm. and left that marriage and say yes to this new man who in that, that time I thought he's never going to work. He's going to break my heart, but I did it anyway. And that itself. Everything that wasn't supposed to make sense, like going mm -hmm. to Europe, even when I didn't think I have the money, taking all those, those were the moments I was saying there, thank God I didn't chicken mm. out. Thank God mm -hmm. I did that. So to make the long story short, eventually I was able to, with the help of my mentors at Northwestern, we, I, we untangled the, medic, the clinical history. This was not a metastasis. This was a second cancer that has happened at the same time, a very rare form of breast cancer that starts in the skin. Mm. In remen, embryological remnants of breast cancer of breast cells that develop cancer, and it was an metastasis. So I had extensive treatment, two additional surgeries, I had uh, chemotherapy, radiation, but I have declared cured. Yes. Oh, my goodness. All righty. So much to unpack, like we say in this. So much to unpack. The day that you looked at that report and saw distant metastasis, would you say you moved from physician mode to patient mode? Yes. In fact, that was one of the things that contributed later on to me leaving oncology. When I realized so many hundreds of times in my life, mm -hmm. I have told a patient, you have stage four cancer, it's uncurable by the current means of science. We can always hope they may find a cure in your lifetime. But in the meantime, you should put your affairs in order and we're mm -hmm. going to do palliative care. That there was no way, even I who thought I was an empathic doctor and mm -hmm. really cared for my patients, mm -hmm. there was no way I could have assimilated what it felt to hear those words said to yourself yes. and to understand I'm dying, the clock is ticking. I may not see my children become adults mm -hmm. and be independent. Mm -hmm. mm. Wow. And then, so it really changes the way that you think about how that person is receiving those words that we as physicians evoke from our mouth. Even like you said, if you say it as empathic as possible, your voice, your tone, you're sitting next to them, you're holding their hands, there's no way to fully understand the impact those words are having on that person. Like you said that, you know, when you were on the receiving side, and, and it was even before because the fact that you saw that report, you never even got the chance to be told that. You put yourself back into, it's like you broke yourself into two molds, Dr. Daly and Daly, the woman, patients, the mother, the wife, the loved one. And Dr. Daly told Daly, the mother, the child, the loved one, this is what the words will say. Wow. And so now you mentioned something. You said that nothing, all the achievements 
all the plaques on the walls, all the certificates, all the higher learning, all the being on stage, all the accolades did not matter. What mattered were the memories, the times that you took a chance on, on love, on life, things that seemed ridiculous, out of the norm, the why would you ever, that's not logical. Those were the things that mattered and brought you a sense of accomplishment. Yes. Interesting. Yes, especially love, especially the memories about love. Wow. So in when you look back at that time and you're seeing anyone who is on that same path that you're on, where it's just achievement after achievement, notch on my belt, notch on my belt, notch on my belt. What is it that you're telling that person? Because I know some of these are, um, some are your clients, some are people that you will just run into, you know, at the store, you see them at, at a conference, or you just see them through life, colleagues, friends of colleagues. Can you spot that person when you see them? Oh yes, all the oh, time. Wow. I I can see I can see them on social media, in meetings, in I can see them with the same energy of and it's a universal belief mm -hmm. that we doctors have a way to to exercise it and it's I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. I need to prove myself. The next accomplishment is going to be what's going to make me worthy of love or appreciation. Yes, yes. And it is like what they call it, that arrival fallacy type thing, right? Oh, that next one. And then that next one comes and it's not enough. Mm -hmm. It's that next one. And then you say that at times you start to put away the things that truly matter is the love, the memories, the relationships, right? Because once I get to that next one, it will come. So what is something that you'll say about for the people that say it will come? Do you say it will come or you need to go after it, which is the relationships, the memories, the, what, are, what is your um, philosophy of that? First, I want to clarify that mm -hmm. we all have different values. So for someone else, speaking on the stage may have been the highlight of their life. Mm -hmm. especially if that was in alignment with a message that they are passionate about, like I'm now passionate about my own message and becoming a speaker. Right. So it's about building a life in alignment with your values, what yeah. is important to you. And mm -hmm. we all have some common principles that are universal and that come across again in all the different religions and in all the different philosophies, treat others the way you want to be treated have integrity, we all want safety, we all have similar bases, but then the filter of our experiences makes us one different thing. Mm -hmm. So the trick here is that after a certain point in life, after you have checked enough milestone check boxes, especially if you have realized the next one doesn't really fulfill me that much, and then I'm just worried about the next one. Mm -hmm. You get to a point when you start saying, I want to move the measuring points from the outside to the inside. Yes. What do I really want? What is my definition of happiness? 
And instead of what the world is telling me I am supposed to want and do, what do I want to do? Hmm. So would you say, had you not been through that experience, do you think you would have been at this point right now? Or do you no, think you were on your way there? Absolutely. Every experience, no matter how hard it is, mm -hmm. is part of shaping you into who you are and moving you to the next stage of your brand wheel. Absolutely. Back then, I thought I was already so much better than before because I had let go of that toxic relationship because mm -hmm. I had redefined my inner compass versus what made sense or mm -hmm. what looked good on my CV, on my resume. Mm -hmm. And yet we're always learning and we're always recalibrating and getting to know ourselves better. Absolutely. I recently read it in a funny way. We are never going to get uh, run out of problems, we are just constantly trading our problems for slightly better problems. Absolutely. Yes, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> Your problems will continue. They'll just change forms. And like you say, slightly better problems, right? And, oh. and the trick is, what problems are you willing to? Like having my children, there's always a headache, but oh my God, they're worth it. Yes. They, that's a problem I'm willing to go through. Dealing with my husband right now is not completely effortless. They're knockheads, but oh my God, he's worth it. Yes. Any pain and every problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what ends up happening? It ends up being the memories because you look back at that time and you're like, oh, yes, those are the memories. Those are the times that really matter. We have someone, a LinkedIn user. Sorry that we are not here. Um, it seems like someone is asking about Crohn's. They're on Crohn's. Um, they're talking about biologic drugs. Okay. So um, so I think that you might be, well, today we're, we're not talking about um, abdominal or gastroenterology um, issues today. We are, we are talking about surviving and Dr. Picardo is a twice cancer survivor. She is telling us about her journey and how she has used that to bring her authentic self and especially about the things that mattered the most when she saw that, um, how she saw that uh, diagnosis. She brought about what matters the most. Okay, so we have a Dr. Dakota here. Dr. Cordae Dakota is a family friend, AKA my cousin. She's a breast cancer survivor. So she's saying woo woo to all our breast cancer survivors out there. Yes, she says that she was a stage to be her plus, her positive, um, yeah, she, she's like, yep, I know what you're talking about. What, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So cancer survivors. So I think our LinkedIn user is asking the best way to cope with chemotherapy. Okay, I see what you're saying. So the best way to cope with chemo, is this from an emotional standpoint, a mental standpoint? Um, what are some of the strengths? How did you pull through? If that's so we can pull, we can definitely um, talk about how to emotionally, um, how you pulled through strength during that time, Dr. Daly. Well, that's a very good question. And I actually miss talking about these things because I, I don't talk about it as often as I used to. 
-hmm. The first thing to cope with chemotherapy is to erase all your preconceived ideas about it. Mm -hmm. I encourage my clients who are happen to be going through it and my friends who have to go through it to do an exercise that I first read on uh, Dr. Bernie Siegel's, but I know other people recommend it too. Imagine the chemo as a positive thing. Mm -hmm. Imagine it is little soldiers that are going to shod the bad cells. Mm -hmm. Imagine it's golden honey coming to, in, to fill you with light. Imagine that are scrubbing bubbles coming to clean your body. Don't mm. let anybody tell you it's poison, it's toxin. Begin with that. Mm. Second, become proactive when you talk to your doctor. There's lots of medications, anti-nausea, that those, we, when I was an oncologist, they used to tell you, oh, you just, you 99% of people do well enough with this. You don't need the second tier. I ended up needing the second tier. Mm -hmm. so I encourage people, you know, don't risk being that 1%. Talk to your doctor. Report any nausea symptoms immediately. Make sure you're, you're getting hydrated, that you're taken care of. And the other one is, the, the third thing I can say, pain and suffering are not the same. Mm. Pain would be the side effects, would be the fatigue, would be the nausea, would be the bone pain. Suffering is the emotional meaning you attach to it. Oh. The feeling of I'm a victim, the feeling of why is this happening to me? This is unfair. All that part is happening in our heads mm -hmm. and is making us exponentiate, increase, expand the pain that the side effects could, could do. Mm -hmm. How to detach from that is always good to have a coach, to have a friend to talk. Tapping, EFT, helped me at the moment of chemo to disconnect from the emotional attachment to the side effects and see the side effects as something outside me. Does that answer the question or anything else? Oh, that, for me, yes. Hopefully it also did for our um, LinkedIn users. And you know, for those who are probably, um, wondering about EFT um, tapping that's a that's a great a great way to really um, tap pun intended into um, the mind and to also to, to heal and an and emotional tapping has um, lots and lots of benefits um, I did have we interviewed um, one of our doctor Dr. Melissa I can't recall Dr. Melissa's last name right now. Um, so we do have an episode um, on emotional EFT, and we actually have a small demonstration. So if you go to ourcaringdocs.com, um, you'll be able to find um, an episode on um, EFT, which is tap-in. Wow. This, that's such a powerful lesson that you're saying, um, pain and suffering. You know, we say it so effortlessly. But describing it the way you did really makes sense in that uh, the suffering really starts within the mind. And so if you can find ways to not, um, and this is not just for those who are going through um, cancer or chemo, but it really is um, through life because we use those that term effortlessly. Oh, it's just pain and suffering. Oh, I'm going through pain. But as you you when you broke it apart that way, it really tapped in. Yeah, that it's too it's different. 
And um, one, like you said, is more physical and the other one taps in more to the emotional aspect. And the emotional one is so powerful that it can magnify the physical portion, which is why it's so important to, to be able to rein in and hold um, in on the emotional, to, to really narrow down ways on how to reduce the suffering, which is the emotional portion, so that you can endure and make it through the pain, which is the physical part. Absolutely brilliant. Alrighty. So, I mean, at this point in time, you have now been through there and you are now deciding no more helping people who are fighting just this oncological thing, this hematological thing. You said, I don't want to make a living fighting death. Mm -hmm. I want to now help people to celebrate life. Tell us, when did that come about and how are we doing it? Well, like I mentioned, I may have decided to join oncology for the wrong reasons, as mm -hmm. a way of grieving my own mother mm -hmm. and came to it with the wrong set of skills. My mm -hmm. set of skills came from it, my set, my what I thought it was my gift was actually my handicap, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. In fact, I remember a very critical moment when my mother told me, "Wow, you have a gift to lift me, my spirit up." She was dealing mm -hmm. with her radiation and she was feeling depressed. And I said something. She laughed and she said, "You have a gift to uplift people." Mm -hmm. And at the moment, I interpreted as this is proof that I have to go to oncology and uplift the patients there too. Mm -hmm. And I always made sure that that was one of my biggest intentions when I met every patient. How can I help them feel a little better? Mm -hmm. Whether it was taking care of the pain, but some more often than not, was giving them a pep talk or letting them vent. And I, it was clear that that was my favorite part. Mm -hmm. While other colleagues were boom, boom, in and out. In, in, they, they were starting pointing out to me, the more patients you see, the more money you make. The more chemo you prescribe, the more money you make. I, my gift, which was uplifting people, which was helping people make perspective of what's going on, was kind of being wasted in a way. Then God started sending me, that was even before my diagnosis, God started sending me all these, I used to call them psychotherapy Fridays. Since I am a hematologist oncologist, Fridays, when we didn't give chemo at the center, was when I saw all the hematology cases, people with anemia, people with low white blood cell counts, the ones who were not dying. <laughs> what a refreshing thing to see. Mm -hmm. Because those are the people who I had a chance to make a bigger impact in their life. Mm. They were there. I said, God was sending them my way. They really, th their anemia was just a little distraction. They were there because they had a heartbreak, because mm -hmm. they needed to forgive their father, because they were in the wrong place in their lives. And talking just in the 15 minutes to 45, if it's a new patient, minutes that you have with a patient, I would say something 
and weeks later or months later or years later get an, a message from the patient what you said that day changed my life wow. i left your office and i went and i did this and now look where i'm thank you so that started building in me that's what i want to do i wish i could catch people early in their life when mm -hmm. they still have time they are not dying in six months i could i help many people put their business in order so they could die with more peace of mind having forgiven people having but i wish i could touch them early on when they still have a lot of life ahead of them mm. so that was already brewing inside me when the moment came when i became a patient at the time i said well maybe this is my sign i have to stay in oncology i have already tasted chemotherapy radiation mastectomies i know something i didn't used to know i can help my patients better if at least the breast cancer patients i can help them better and then every patient that was sent to me after i came back from my medical leave after my last surgery was a terribly depressing young patient my age or younger dying of cancer mm. and the survivor's guilt started creeping in me why did i survive and this person will not yes then my ability to have even the minimal border uh, the boundary i used to be able to have it was gone i knew how much it was hurting them if i had to break the news your bladder cancer is metastatic mm. and that started getting more and more clear in my mind this is not what i want to do so if any of you have ever found yourselves in that point in your career mm -hmm. i have one baby exercise two baby exercises i want you to do mm -hmm. the first one is find a way to make yourself happy no matter what it takes you don't make good decisions from the bottom of your soul. Absolutely. Like me choosing oncology, perhaps, when you are making a decision from sadness, from grief, from depression, you're in your survival brain. You're not engaging your creative prefrontal cortex, your right brain. So first work on making yourself a little happier, whatever that takes. That takes getting a hobby, getting a creative outlet, starting mm -hmm. to give yourself a little me time, do it. And when you start lifting yourself a little bit, then start translating what you don't want into what you want. Mm. I don't want to go to work where in a place where everybody's depressed. I want to work in an industry that's focusing joy in happiness. I don't want to reach the patients when it's too late, when they are about to die. I want to work with people when there's still time to make an impact. And little by little, translating what you don't want into what you want, you start getting a more clear idea of where can I find this? Mm -hmm. Where can I feel the way I want to feel? Wow, very powerful. And I see that, that's, that that exercise is one that you did. And then you took that leap going towards that. How was that for you? Well, it is scary. I can imagine. It is scary. <laughs> You're leaving all that you know, all the training, all the judgment, all the, I can't believe, all the, well, you have this prestigious 
um, occupation and now you're A, you're doing B, you're doing C. <laughs> Absolutely. We physicians are heavily wired on certainty. Yes. One of the things I teach my clients is we have two contradictory needs, certainty and freedom safety, certainty, security, and independence, freedom, autonomy, variety, passion, adventures. We all have those needs, but we physicians are wired heavily into the safety because if not, we kill someone. Yes. So it's very important to let go a little bit of the safety if you want the other side of your life, the mm -hmm. adventure, the joy, the, the freedom. And the other thing is the identity. The hardest addiction to quit is the identity. And <laughs> I love you. Addiction. <laughs> I am Dr. Dorpichardo, the board certified hematologist, oncologist. That identity. Who am I going to be if I'm not that? Realizing that's just a part of me. I am also a mother, a wife, a lover, a writer, someone who loves beach beach box and sunsets knowing who you are beyond your identity as a doctor helps mm -hmm. so in my case i started developing that and that and when i and you know when you make a decision and you set an intention god helps you the universe helps you sends mm -hmm. you little nudges crisis started happening at my workplace again when i say you know that tilted the balance where the pain of staying is bigger than the pain of the fear of leaving yeah. i am jumping and letting hoping god you find a net and catch me <laughs> <I'm jumping laughs> in the void in the minute i presented my resignation covid exploded mm. i as a recently finishing chemotherapy person I was at risk, so it became even more crucial to negotiate with my employers that I would let me leave even before my frame of notice. They were accommodating enough that they let me. And in the same way, the minute I found myself on the other side with very vague idea of what I wanted to do, I thought maybe I'll come back as a mind-body-spirit physician mm -hmm. because I have already been a patient because I believe a lot. And that's a long story, a completely different podcast. I was the person who never smoked, never drank, never had any vices, had all the protective factors against breast cancer someone can have, like mm -hmm. having lots of children, breastfeeding, not having history of hormonal exposure. And yet yeah. I got breast cancer. So the mind-body-spirit connection of why that happened fascinated me. And as part of my, okay, let me take a course in being a life coach as part of maybe becoming later on returning as a different type of physician. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. I loved the way of thinking when you have to listen so much more than you talk. Mm -hmm. Very different from the physician's perspective. You are not here to give a prescription. You are here to letting the person in front of you arrive at their own conclusions. All those different ways to see care, healthcare, taking care of someone fascinated me. And I, and I started a practice, as part of the training, they make you practice. It was so rewarding. It became crystal clear. I don't want to go back to medicine. This is what I want to do. So mm -hmm. thanks, one good thing. Okay, that so that was, that was the, the net, that was the parachute 
that you jumped off the cliff and you're like, I'll figure it out. And that was the plane that was being built along to help you to move, not seamlessly, but to move beyond where you were and not yeah. down, but to bring yourself yeah. back up. A wow. little cushion to land on, yes. A little so cushion. To, <laughs> so to, to finish the story, mm -hmm. COVID was a blessing that it normalized virtual meetings. Mm -hmm. So without needing to have an office, without needing to have pay rent, or I was able to experiment, create my, my, my uh, LLC, start my work, and get that reassurance that I really loved it. And my first clients were women going through divorce, professional women going through heartbreak, starting to date again because of my experience with leaving my previous toxic relationship. And I swore I had wanted nothing to do with medicine or doctors. But half my clients at least were physicians mm. because people who knew me were physicians. And they started by word of mouth recommending their friends. And mm. I started getting clients from different parts of the country that were all physicians. And I started getting the message that perhaps my experience was to help those physicians figure out mm -hmm. their, their lives. Because the funny part of the last part of the, the, the story is the second cancer wasn't the, the second one. I ended up being diagnosed with another cancer secondary to the medications I was taking to prevent breast cancer recurrence. That was a very early stage. I didn't need chemo, radiation, just surgery. But at that time, I sat to analyze my life after being a patient again. And I realized that wherever you go, you bring yourself with you. I had brought with me the same overachieving mentality, stress. Mm. And I, I'm never happy with my accomplishments. And if I have five clients, I want 10. And if I have 10, oh, that wow. was following me in I was in a very early stage of burnout already, just a couple of years, two, three years after starting the, the practice. So mm -hmm. my, my conclusion at the time was instead of running away from the physicians, maybe this is my role. I am not here to tell them, quit medicine. I am not here to tell them, stay in medicine. I'm here to tell them, wherever you go, you bring yourself with you. Learn now to live what are you, my values? Mm -hmm. To live your life circled based on those values with intention, not because the world is telling you what to do, and with self-compassion. And wherever you decide to go, you'll be okay as long as you don't forget to have that love and that self-compassion. And that self-compassion. I like that you said, wherever you go, you're bringing yourself with you. So... And it's easy to think that, well, because I switched from here to here and now I'm a completely different person. You are a person who's transitioning because you're working on self, which is a developmental process, which is why it's called a process. But when you move from one ear to the other, the part of you that's developing is what you're bringing. So you still have these fundamental parts that it's still developing. So give yourself, like we say, grace, take the time to look and to realize and to adjust accordingly, right? Mm -hmm. Because you'll always, there's a lot of reflection that goes on in this thing called life. And that's what I'm, I'm hearing as a part of your story. There's a lot of reflection 
when you reflect on, you know, what made you go into medicine in the first place? You're reflecting on what made you go into hematology and, you know, where you are at that time, you make the best decisions you can at that time. When you look back, you honor the person who made that decision, but then you pull your lessons from that person and you bring it to the person that you are now and how can you improve upon based on everything you know at this time. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Alrighty, so I'm now at this fun part of the interview where I ask this question to all my doctors and I'm gonna pull some of these things off the plate. So usually my question is, if you weren't a doctor, what would you be? And, which is gonna be the same question for you, but here it is. If you weren't a doctor, a life coach, if you weren't a teacher, let me see what the, ah, I know, right? That's a, that's the fun part. I pull any little thing that you talked about during the interview. <laughs> so doctor, life coach, teacher, let me see, is there anything else that you mentioned that you like to do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think those were some uh, research. Yes, researcher, clinical research. Yes, those are some of the things that you talked about. So if you weren't ah, you left one out, good. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. Let me go back. Let me go back. <laughs> Let me wait, wait, wait. I have my notes. <laughs> I didn't hear about this. I didn't know. Writer. I'm also writer, a writer. Because yeah, right. right. you, you are, yeah, you are Amazon bestseller. Gosh, she's right up here. Okay, so you are in any of that. <laughs> what would you be? Well, that you made it hard because I was hoping to say I'll be a fiction writer. But you told me not to say writer. I would probably be a special education professional. Okay. Because I have, my daughter has special, I have two kids in the spectrum, twins. One of them, my daughter has special needs. Mm -hmm. And actually working with her and my other son's challenges has been a lot of learning about neuroplasticity of the brain mm -hmm. that ha has helped me also with my clients. And it is beautiful to, you have to become a kid and sit down on the floor, get to their level and play with them mm -hmm. and meet them in their world and be lovable enough that they decide, I'm okay, I'm going to meet you in your world to get oh. the kids out of their little inner world that they live in when they have autism, for example, interested mm -hmm. in other human beings. So I guess that would be my, my career. Oh, wow. And all of this is from, like you said, from life. Isn't it interesting how life pulls all of this? That's a beautiful way that you've described how to connect, how you've connected with, with, your um, children. You said you have to come down into their world. And if you really think about it, it's you coming down and then they are now trusting you enough. So you've entered into my world. So now I trust you enough. So now I will enter into your. And that takes a long time. So naturally, when we think about life, after a while, we forget about that period where we give that person that grace period, 
you know, automatically we meet people and we, we, we forget about that grace period, but that process, you slow that grace period down. So they're like, okay, come down into my world and uh, let me see how you interact in my world. Okay, now I am comfortable enough and I trust you enough. Now I will interact in yours. How powerful. Wow. And it's actually a metaphor you can bring anywhere in life because we all have a little bit of an inner world that's different. We are all seeing different things in the world depending on what you're paying attention, depending on your your early life programming. Love it, love it, love it. Oh, wow, how powerful. Alrighty, so I know that, you know, a lot of people are watching this, they're listening to the podcast, they're thinking, oh my God, Dr. Daly, she is, you know what, I think she's someone I would love to work with. So go ahead, let them know the name of your business, how can they find you? And are you taking on clients at this time? Right now, I am only because there's a couple graduating. I okay. came back after my last treatment with a very strict plan of one maximal number of clients I'm going to see. Mm -hmm. And I am I do, I do have a couple of openings right now because there's people graduating. And my website is joyfullysuccessful.com. There you can read some of my, my story, my testimonials, and you can there's a link to my calendar to book a call, a comp complimentary call is i used to offer a free session i don't do that anymore because i'm busy enough but if you send me an email after booking a call i can extend a little bit the time of the call so we can make it into a call slash session wonderful and wonderful so say that again the name of the website is joyfullysuccessful.com and is that what people can expect after working with you <laughs> Oh, yes. Whatever your definition of success is now, we're going to get one deeper circle on your true values. And that's going to be your new measure for success. And it's going to be a much more joyful one. I love it. Love it. Love it. So joyfullysuccessful.com. So if you are out there and you're a high achieving professional woman, especially high achieving physician, professional woman, and you're looking for that higher level of success. And um, like you said, a deeper level of that. So you have where you are right now, but there's something that's missing. That's, you know, the connection to what you consider to be your success. There's something that's missing and you're looking for that. Joyfullysuccessful.com, Dr. Daly, you can click there, read all about how she's helped many other doctors, many other um, non-physicians, physician yes. women to achieve that level of joy and um, success within their careers. So if that is you, you know where to go. Dr. Daly, she is here. And like she says, you know, she has a complimentary um, call. So book it, take advantage of it, take advantage. Alrighty, with that, Dr. Daly, do you have any last minute words and in the last words for those who are watching? Well, my motto in life now is life is short. Life is too short to be where you don't want to be, to live half-heartedly, to waste time arguing, Life is too short to do something you are not passionate about. 
life is too short to live without passion. Mm. So make sure you're spending every minute doing what you really want to do, being with the person you really want to be with and being who you really want to be. Mm, Love it. Life is too short to live without passion. (laughs) Thank you so much, Dr. Daly. This has been a very insightful, very, very, very wonderful conversation. Thank you for taking us into your world. Thank you for taking us on your journey, for letting us know about the many different phases that you've gone through, like what you've learned and the person that you are becoming and the people that you're helping. And thank you for also answering that question for our LinkedIn user about how to cope with chemotherapy, um, you know, about the difference between pain and suffering and the treatment for both and how you have been able to go, go through that process and how you have done it successfully. I really appreciate you taking this time out to be with us here on the Dr. Tamara Beckford Show. Thank you all in the chat, Dr. Dakota. Thank you to our LinkedIn users. Thank you all for stepping in and being a part of this wonderful conversation. We'll see you guys next time. All right. So I know you're like, oh, my God, Dr. Beckford. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. You didn't catch all of it. That's okay. Well, this wonderful conversation is available on our Your Caring Docs website. So go to Your Caring Docs. That's U-R-C-A-R-I-N-G-D-O-C-S.com. Select podcast. You'll see Dr. Dealey's beautiful face. Click listen here and you'll catch all of this conversation. If you are an amazing doctor doing fantastic thing, just like our doctor here today, in and outside of clinical medicine, we'd like to be a part of the show. I'd love to have you. Send me an email at drbeckford at yourcurrentdocs.com to book. Keep in mind, we are booked out two months or so in advance. That's okay. You understand why? Because of wonderful docs like her, right? So go ahead, click that link, and we will see you next time. Take care. Thank you. My pleasure.